Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clearer Thinking Podcast from Grace Valley Church in Dundas. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink, the lead pastor of Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening. The Clearer Thinking Podcast has been taken over. Hey everyone, uh, I'm Mark Hordyke and I will be your host for this week's installment of the podcast. Um, so one of the things that we've been thinking uh or rather that we've been able to do while most of our regular ministries have been shut down uh, is to spend more time thinking about our remaining ones and how to make them even better. And uh, one of the things that I was tasked with uh, when I was hired here at GVC first was to work with uh, the existing worship team alongside Megan, who at that time was our worship coordinator uh, to help bring uh, theological vision and focus to this aspect of GBC's overall ministry. And uh, so what I want to talk to you about today is uh, two questions that that come up, uh, have come up over the years um, and do come up more regularly. And, and they are, why uh, do we do the types of things that we do in our worship services on Sunday? And But more specifically, uh, the question that, that more often comes up is, why do we sing the songs that we do? Um, and maybe why don't we sing other songs? Um, and in order to adequately address that question, I, I feel like I have to address the first question uh, first. Um, and so I'm going to do that. Um, and, I, and I do think it's it's it's. Uh, long overdue that we uh, have this discussion. All right. So the first question was, why do our worship services look the way we do? Okay. And what we are talking about when we talk about this, we're talking about liturgy. Um, And at its most simple, liturgy simply refers to the order of our worship. What are the things that we choose to highlight and include in our uh, formal gatherings together in our formal services? Um, our liturgy uh, is what gives our services cohesion. Um, and in the Reformed tradition, we believe that um, a worship service ought to be more than just a collection of uh, disjointed components mashed together. Uh, rather, our worship services, um, if I and the other worship leaders have, have done our jobs well, should feel something like like a banquet. Um, and... Uh, but yeah, one of the things that I've come to realize over the years and, and over many conversations is that many, uh, many of you uh, don't realize uh, that that cohesion or don't necessarily um, see that cohesion. And that's not a, a fault of your own. Um, that's actually because we haven't done a good enough job of explaining it to all of you. Um and, and it, telling you what we're doing and why. And so, yeah, like I said, I thought this was well long overdue rather. And so uh, I'm just going to walk you through our general liturgy structure and explain um, a couple of the elements of worship to you now. And I'm going to hopefully do this fairly quickly. Um, and so every worship service at GVC begins with a call to worship. You prob- probably know that, right? And these calls uh, are taken from scripture, uh, typically from somewhere in the Psalms. Um, and we do this to acknowledge that it is God who calls us together to meet with him, right? Uh, it's not a, it's not a human invention. It's not our idea. It's the Lord of heaven and earth who initiates our gatherings. Okay. So God calls us and then we typically respond and worship by singing an opening song. And this opening song is, uh, 
typically a general song of praise, uh, highlighting the holiness, majesty, worthiness of God to receive our praise, right? So we sing something like only a holy God or worthy, worthy, or behold our God. Um, it's an opportunity for us to get properly oriented to and, and reminded of who it is that we have been called into worship by. All right, so so God calls, and then we respond by remembering who he is. All right, and then having been confronted with the true God and all of his glory and perfection and holiness, this naturally leads us to see ourselves more accurately in his light, right? And we are not holy. We're not perfect. Uh, we are everything that he is not. Um, and, and so this leads us into a time of confession of our sin. Right, and this portion of the service usually consists of of one or more readings from Scripture that remind us of our need to humble ourselves before God, and usually a reminder that He is faithful to forgive if we would simply turn from our sin and turn our hearts back towards Him. Um, right, and we usually sing uh, some sort of a song of confession at this point in the service as well. Right, something like "Jesus, I come," or "Come, ye sinners," or "God, be merciful to me," or "Lord, I need you." Uh, we also pray some form of corporate prayer of confession at this time as well. All right. This portion of the liturgy causes us to remember our desperate need for the covering of Jesus' righteousness if we are to stand in the presence of a holy God, right? Okay, so God calls. Then we confess. Then what happens? Then God assures us of our right standing with him in Christ. Okay, so for this, we read a passage from Scripture that emphasizes the fact that we have been justified. We have been declared righteous by the imputed righteousness of Jesus. And so we can stand confidently before God, knowing that when he looks on us, he chooses to see the perfect, spotless righteousness of Christ, his eternal Son, with whom he is well pleased. All right. We then respond to this most amazing and precious truth with some sort of a song of thanksgiving or trust, celebrating uh, the security and the freedom that we now enjoy as God's adopted children. And by this point in the service, every week we've walked through the story of the gospel, right? We've rehearsed it. We've reminded one another of it and been reminded of it, of our, of our, it ourselves, right? We, uh, we've had our hearts reoriented and prepared now to hear God speak, right? All of what we've done up to this point has been in preparation to hear God speak to us through his word in the sermon uh, as the week's text is expounded, explained, and applied to our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, and then following the sermon, right, during times when we're able, we like to partake in communion together. Um you know, we act out and celebrate our union with Christ, our Savior, and with one another. And then we respond again with uh, a sending song, uh, a song of thanksgiving or celebration, usually closely tied to the main theme of the service. And then our service is officially ended with a benediction, right, which is a sending blessing of God from Scripture. So God calls, we confess, God assures, God speaks, and then God sends us out with his blessing. And this is what's going on every week uh, as we gather in worship together. And I hope that now, um, next time we worship together, you'll you'll follow that a little more closely. You'll see and understand what exactly we're doing um, every week in the liturgy 
as we work through it, as we rehearse, as we are reminded of these things together. Um, every song we sing, every scripture passage that we read, every prayer that we pray, it's all part of one cohesive whole. They're, they're like the various uh, courses of a grand banquet of truth and beauty that's prepared for us uh, to be nourished by and to be delighted in together every week. All right. Having explained all of that, now I want to address the question, uh, why do we sing the songs we do? Or or how do we decide what and what not to sing, right, in church? There are hundreds of new worship songs that get released every week. And since we all have different tastes and preferences, uh, we're each drawn to different types of songs and genres. And so how do we decide which ones to sing and which ones not to sing? Well, in order to answer that question, we have to we have to ask the question: Why do we sing at all? Right? Why sing? Why music? What's what's that about? Well, I hope after the first portion of the podcast, um, we can all agree that our public worship services are God's idea, right? That He calls us into worship, He initiates the gathering. It's all about Him, um, and God commands us to sing. Right, all throughout Scripture, we're commanded to sing, sing a new song, sing to one another, uh, you know, lift up your voices and praise. Um, there's just there are so many commands tied to worship about um, that involve singing in Scripture. So this is clearly something that God uh, wants us to be doing, and and so I guess we can explore why that is. And there seems to be something about the marriage of truth and beauty that fuels deep and meaningful worship of the one true God. All right. God didn't just create us as rational beings, but he also created us as emotional beings. Right. And so if if we're going to love the Lord, our God with all our heart, soul and strength, right. If we're going to love and worship God with everything that we are, then we are going to be worshiping with our emotions as well as our intellect. And Music has a unique power to stir our emotions and affections. And this can help to open our hearts and minds to receive truth. I know this has been my experience. Um, I, I, for me, I, I learned all about worship ministry at, at New City Church. And I remember um, for the first time really knowing what we were doing, experiencing myself being prepared so that by the time we got to the sermon, I was I was really open and ready to receive the word. I was I was eager for it. I was hungry for it um, in a way that I wasn't when I first walked into church that morning, right? Music can help us to feel the truth. That's something I stole from Bob Coughlin, who's a major influence of mine in when it comes to worship stuff. Um, it, music can help us to, to feel the truth that we know already intellectually, right? It can help to bridge that gap, between the head and the heart, right? Oftentimes we say, yeah, we know that these things are true that we read in the Bible, but they just don't, I don't feel it. Music can really help do that. It can stir up our emotions and our affections and, and, and help to bridge that gap between the head and the heart, right? But the point of singing beautiful songs is so that they would be a delivery system of truth, okay? Beauty must serve truth, when it comes to worship. And so I just want to highlight um, Paul's teaching from Colossians 3. In verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
All right, as we come together as the body of Christ, we lift our voices up in worship together, right? Uh, if the words that we are singing are, in fact, the word of Christ, we are teaching and admonishing one another with the word of God. We are ministering to one another as we worship. And so we better make sure that the words that we're saying are true, that they're anchored in Scripture. We are categorizing each other. We're teaching and rehearsing rich biblical doctrine together. And so, yeah, to accomplish this end, we don't simply want our songs to be singable and beautiful. That's a matter of practicality. But even more importantly, we want them to be unwaveringly biblical. We wouldn't tolerate a preacher simply standing up and sharing their personal opinions and anecdotes with us for half an hour on Sunday, right? We, we want to hear God speak from his word, right? And, this, and the same is true of our music. Um, listen, so, so much of our theology is what I call caught rather than taught, right? As, as much as that pains uh, people like Pastor Paul and myself, <laughs> we tend to absorb the theology of the, of the music we listen to, the entertainment we enjoy, the authors we read, the speakers we listen to, right? This, this is why it's important that the music we sing is biblically sound and theologically driven. All right, I'm making a, an appeal to all of you, especially to those of you with young children. When you're when you're hanging around the house uh, or driving in your car, listen to good music. Think about the music you're listening to. It is amazing what people, but especially children, can absorb through this repetitive exposure to lyrically rich, meaningful music. Um, if you want your kids to love Jesus, one of the best things you can do for them is to help them worship well. And if you want your kids to be excited about singing and worshiping with us in church, being a part of the church gathered to worship, help them learn the types of songs that we're singing in church. And in order to help you in that endeavor, um, we are doing a little bit of a relaunch of our Grace Valley Spotify playlist. That's what all this has been leading up to. I've been thinking about all this stuff, right? So, I've spent many hours in the last couple of weeks calling out songs that aren't a part of our GDC canon, adding others that are, um, as well as trying to find the best versions of each song available on the platform. And so there are, our GVC playlist on Spotify has been kind of revamped and Kate will be uh, re-releasing the Spotify details in uh, this week's weekly update to help you find it. All right. And, and for those of you who are maybe uh, not Spotify users, maybe you're an Apple music user uh, for you guys, I hope to curate a similar playlist on Apple Music. I have not yet had the time to pull that together. Um, so if that's you, hang tight for that information. That will be coming as well. Okay. That's about all I have time for. <laughs> Friends, it's been great. Um, I'm deeply passionate about the musical worship of the church. Um, I hope that you are as well. Um, and I hope that you learned something here today that will enrich that experience for you. Um, yeah, that's it for me, friends. I hope you have a great week. Take care. <laughs>